Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Amplify, where I'm in conversation with Nishant Chopra, founder of Oshadi Collective. Oshadi is a seed-to-stitch supply chain initiative based around a regenerative cotton farm in a village in Tamil Nadu. Established as a contemporary women's wear label in 2015, over the years, the project has evolved into an artisan collective and textile supplier, now housing an entire seed-to-sow supply chain where fibers are formed, spun, naturally dyed, woven, and sewn all within a 10-kilometer radius. Oshadi works with local craftspeople, supports the village economy by employing the artisans on their own terms. This came about because Nishant witnessed the harmful effects of the textile industry on his natural environment growing up and decided to look to India's heritage and history for a solution and then decided to embed regenerative agriculture with fashion manufacturing today. agreeing to be on this episode. I am in conversation with Nishan Chopra who is the founder of Oshadi Collective and is working to marry regenerative agriculture into fashion. And I'm really excited to have you here Nishan. Thank you so much for agreeing to come on my podcast. Thanks for having me Sanchi. My name is uh, Nishan Chopra. I'm the founder of Oshadi which is a textile and fashion company integrating ancient indian farming and craft practices with modern designs and sustainably innovative processes and techniques yeah thank you and you know just i mean you touched upon it very briefly just then in your introduction but can you explain what does regenerative seed to sow fashion mean regenerative is a new word for ancient way of doing things i i suppose and you know that's why it means to me like and seed to sow is also an ancient way of making things like you know india has been doing this for years and years like you know for almost how many years since there were like civil civilizations you know we were like spinning we were farming spinning weaving producing making clothes and selling in the same place you know it was not seed to sow but it was seed to market all in the same place but now you know we now live in like a in this globalized setup seed to market is kind of a very difficult task where you know you only make stuff that can be consumed by people like around where you live and you know mm-hmm. that's not possible at the moment so you know we took a step behind and it's like hey this is seed to so we actually started as a women's wear brand like in 2016 but never thought of evolving ourselves as a supply chain but we really wanted to be a part of this you know integrated and you know really uh, connected with the supply chain because I brought up in this textile hub like you know this uh, with pollution and all these things I just really wanted to look at like an alternative alternate way of like making things in a more humane and more sustainable way and and that's how we started with like the women's wear brand and then we slowly moved to the sewing and then weaving and the composition the materials the dyes the natural natural organic dyes and of course like it all starts at the farm so we had to get there and you know uh, that kind of led us to make this seed to sew journey and uh, yeah and every time like i looked at the seed to sow thing it was it was not a plan but you know like we had to go there because you know we were, i was we were really curious and you know not satisfied with the processes which we were currently using which most brands like likely use and you know we got involved in manufacturing and then you know our manufacturing got a lot of attention so we started working with a lot of brands who supported us, supported us at like different parts of the supply chain so you know for like 
us traveling alone as a women's wear brand and bringing a change, you know, it's going to take a lot of time. And, you know, what, like, you know, what matters a lot, like, does our name or does our brand, like, or should it matter a lot or like, you know, the kind of impact it needs to have matters a lot. So we had these two questions and, you know, of course, like the answer was, we need, like, you know, it can be only measured with the impact. Like, no, there's no, like, Oshdi won't exist because of what, like, you know, if we were not to do this. So, you know, this, is, this was a goal. So we started working on that. And yeah, that's how we evolved, like, with different brand partnerships at different stages of the supply chain, weaving, dyeing, farming, and, you know, like, it kind of brought us to this regenerative seed to source supply chain. Yeah, and you mentioned that what Oshidi does is an alternative to how current fashion supply chains are. So can you talk a little bit about how fashion supply chains at the moment work and what the textile industry at the moment looks like? As far as like, I don't really know, like, the, like you know, as far as my personal experience and, you know, being brought up in this textile hub, I saw a lot of like unethical things happening, like, you know, humans like not being respected, environment not being respected, so much pollution. I've seen like, canals filled with like dead fishes because you know like uh, dying factories are leaving like chemicals directly into the public water bodies and things like that and um, you know just like people don't really respect another human being like every labor is considered as like maybe like a modern day slave and you know is told to work for like two shifts and sometimes like people work at 24 hours like i don't really know how that kind of works because like it's it's really bizarre when you uh, when you think about it but you know people do work for 24 hours straight like you know, just sitting on the same thing and you know i've read about those things i've seen these things happening like three ships in a row and um yeah that is like you know i grew up looking at these things because you know some of the biggest textile mills are based around here and even the smallest ones like you know i feel like not all the blame goes to the biggest ones i would say that uh, but you know just like this entire supply chain and that's how it was like the dump the, the waste was there was no recycling system so they was constantly dumping it and of course, where are they dumping? They're dumping in the same city. Like, it's not that like they're flying it to Mars and like dumping it there, you know? They just like dump it right there. They don't realize it's maybe not in their boundary, like the so-called land boundary of their premises, but it's still in the boundary of where they live. And it's kind of, kind of ha like, you know, it starts having impact in these kind of places. And yeah, I would say there's so much to say about these things, but I think there's a solution to this. And, you know, when you ask about the alternate way of supply chain, maybe I can, when you ask me more on that, I can continue about the solution side of things because I'm pretty sure everyone who's listening to this podcast or who, who you know, who's in fashion and things like that, everyone's like been listening to these problems for such a long time. And, you know, they come to you and listen to your podcast to find solutions. And, you know, let's dive into that. Yeah, sure. So I have a couple of more questions related to the interconnectedness of these problems, and then we will dive into how Oshadi is providing the solution. So right. just before we get into the solutions part, you know, India is, because you work directly with farmers, right? India is one of the countries, despite having a lot of natural abundance, it continues to see high rates of farmer suicides. So in your experience of directly working with farmer communities, can you explain why that is the case? Actually, like, you know, the, I watched a movie called, I keep like talking about this movie in every podcast, like, or any interview, I think, or, or like that movie really had a profound impact on me, which led me to start the farming. So basically this movie talks about this farmer and the farmer's caught up in this vicious circle where he's going to the fertilizer shops, buys fertilizers on loan and, you know, kind of feeds into the land. So he has a great produce in the first season. 
uh, and then, you know, he's like, this seems promising, you know, we are getting crazy yield. So what, we, what are we going to do? We are going to practice a bit more of the, so he gets more loan and, you know, he keeps indulging into this process and like a few years down the line, they realize, he realizes that, oh, like, you know, it's not working because now the land has like, needs so, so much more, like, you know, it's built tolerance and it needs more and more. And now it's not economical for me to afford the fertilizers and still be able to make profit. And since he's taken everything on loan from the fertilizer company, the fertilizer company kind of gets the land, like, you know, a push, uh, land acquisition and basically like the farmer is, becomes a watchman. So they put up like a, another shop there and like a windmill there. And the farmer is sitting outside his own land, like the last scene of the movie ends, like sitting outside their own land and like the windmill moving. And he's like a watchman watching, like, you know, for this company. And, that is like the bla- like very, very transparent truth about like the farmer suicides because, you know, like in India, how things work, society, culture, systems, and one day you're like this rich person and the next day you become poor and so many people are not able to like withstand the burdens and the pressures of society because society starts looking at them in a very difficult way. So, you know, like they're like, oh, and now like, you know, I have to go, like my wife has to clean someone's house or like, you know, my kid can't go to school anymore and, you know, I don't have the status I had in society and what do they do? They commit suicide because of course they are not educated. They don't know that, you know, you can go back, start over all over again. And, you know, you can go back to the life. It's okay to be poor at a point of time, but you can work out, you know, those things kind of, kind of become hazy for them. And, you know, they just commit suicide and things. Well, there's two things. One is this kind of like strange, vicious system, like, you know, farmers get locked into. And second thing is like lack of education because, you know, if they're educated that these things happen in life and you can move ahead and you know there are other opportunities waiting for you, you know, they would probably not do that. And when you look at this year and a little bit of last year as well, I think when we have witnessed one of the largest farmer protests in Indian history, you know, what do you have to say about how the new laws that are currently being proposed ties into the overall plight of farmers in India today? I think some of the new laws are really futuristic and, you know, really modern in terms of like, you know, how they are, for example, like, you know, you're going to criminalize burning off farm residue, like, you know, if you do that, I think that's a great law and, you know, that that should be done with every industry, every, like, even the dying units, if they get caught, like leaving chemicals in the, in the riverbeds, you know, they need to be like, it, it should be a criminal offense. It shouldn't be like a civil offense. You see what I mean? Like it, it needs to be criminalized. Like you can't go in and, you know, burn things up or you can't like treat someone in a really unfair way, ask him, like force him or her to like work for 24 hours. And, you know, all of these things, you know, if they are like monitored by strict governance and strict laws, like, you know, things will completely stop. And that's why the pro- protest and like, the thing is like Indian laws are like, this law is great, but like, what does it have to support the farmers? Like, you know, farmers don't have to, like, what do they do with the residue? Because if they, let's say, clean the residue and take it out or do something out of that, it's going to cost them so much money that all the money they're already earning, which is already like really, really low, it's adding on top of that. And, you know, it's making it really unaffordable for them to, you know, recycle the residue or do something about that. And like, you can't just go and impose a law on something, even though it's a good law or like whatever it is, you can't impose it on something if you don't try to help them out with a solution because you know government has to be doing those kind of solutions that thousands millions of acres of farmland they can't like go in and just like smash it that hey we are going to do this and you know what are what are we going to do about it we are just going to like sue you and blah 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 but you know they need to have a centralized system 
they have so many like unruly subsidies in India, like, you know, giving free grinders and free mixies and like refrigerators and stuff like that. Like they should just rather set up a centralized system of residue cycling or waste management and things like that. And, you know, it's, there's so much goodness that comes out of these residue recycling setup. You can make compost, you can, you know, get energy. I was like reading about this. I don't know which countries that it may be like Denmark and Iceland where, or Iceland where, you know, all the waste goes to the centralized system and, you know, the entire city is being heated, heated like, you know, with that like waste, the energy received from decomposing the waste and things like that. Yeah. Yeah. And now let's move on to the solutions bit. You know, you, you've talked a bit about how these are the different problems and how they are interconnected when it comes to the issues that farmers face. What are the solutions that Oshadi is proposing and, and working towards? I mean, it's just like the solution is very, very simple. You know, when you do like these chemical processes, like all these toxic systems, and you know, like, you know, suppressing human labors and things like that, that's when you have to think of these crazy ideas to cut through, you know what I mean? When you're really like working in a very humane way, treating others right, like, you know, if you're taking care of the environment well, if you, you know, make sure like you don't fabricate the environment or like, you know, pollute the environment or things like that. Like the solution is very simple. Like, you know, you treat everything else around you the way you treat yourself. So basically when you start with like, let's say the, the, the seamstresses, let's say, let's go back from so to see like seamstresses, what do you do with them? You know, you have like certain hour shifts and, you know, you pay them for overtimes, you know, when you, when you do that and you give them fair income and you have like all these safety measures and you have all of these like simple things. It's not too complicated. Like, you know, and you go back to the weaving, you do the same, you treat people well, you pay, pay them well, you make sure everyone's safe, like if it's like automated looms, make sure like, you know, things are not open and, you know, there's proper systems to like, you know, for protection and, you know, if something goes wrong, like, you know, they need to have like some electricity management system where if something goes wrong, that's, you know, there should be a centralized system, which is like kind of expensive that, you know, if there's a short, like, you know, electric issue, like, you know, a centralized body goes down and, you know, you just set up those kind of things, you go back to spinning, and, you know, you do the same thing, you know, you try to use like renewable energy, not try to, but, you know, just, just use re renewable energy. It's going to be like an expensive process when you start it. But when you look at, look at it over a period of 10 years, it's actually more beneficial and more economical than, you know, buying electricity from outside. And yeah, also with the weaving, you know, where you can, you can possibly work with like artisan communities, like, you know, we work with artisan communities and weaving, dyeing, you sort of work with you're not like helping them because they in fact help you to, you know, generate your sales and things like that as well. But, you know, you work with them to, though they have lack of education in the more formalized, systemized, educative, like sir, way, they have so much more, which we don't know about, like these kind of skills and invaluable skills and techniques. So you work with them to, you know, kind of modernize these things and, you know, bring in new designs and they might lack certain things. So some other people like who we do, like the block printing, where they had issues with washing and things. So we, we set up our own washing space like you know we told them how to do this and they, we asked them like you know you know if you do this you have consistent washing which means it doesn't bleed you can fix this using these problems like these uh solutions and you know things like that you keep doing that until you go back to the farm and farm again like you know you farm is a regenerative farming is a holistic thing like ancient farming is a holistic it's not about not just putting in chemicals but it's about doing good, like, you know, bringing back, restoring things which we've lost and which we've destroyed over years and years of time. So, you know, you're not, not just like adding organic compost, but making sure you're, you're building back the, the, the soil, eroded soil. And what do you do with the animals there? You know, you like 
make sure you train them because most they grow in this industrialized system and you train them to free graze and you know what do you do with the environment like you make sure you have all these different types of crops in the same land so you know it's it's biodiverse it's it's really rich in the biodiversity and you know the you're just basically restoring all these things you've been damaging for all these years and it's kind of very very simple you see like you know when i it seems like a lot of process but then you know when you start doing it i just started realizing that it's so much more simpler to do things this way than have like someone work for like three shifts and you know creating all these like complicated documents and you know paying someone to audit and like like you know certifying these like i also like completely don't believe in any kind of certification because you know they are pointless useless you know they've been around for like 50 years i don't know how many years what good have they done like you know is a, is that a stop up in organic or is that a stop like you know have they helped like how many organic farmers do you know like you know have a good life how many organic like small producers and small companies and small artisans or small like weaving communities or small dyeing community how many organic of those communities or people you see are having a better life none like it's if you have a lot of money if you're a big mill you get a certification you pay them you get it and that's it so it's like you know just going away from the certifying and like blah 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 all these things and you know you just start working like you think about relationships you have every day you speak to people and you know it's it's an evolving like ever evolving process it doesn't like it there's no solution system you know what is the minimum wage you know how how can we go beyond that so a farmer can or an artisan can start saving and saving enough so you know they can get access to good healthcare good education and you know is 300 enough for them to like do that no so 275 is the minimum wage here and like what is the minimum wage like how are you deciding a minimum wage per person just so that he can like eat three times a day is that what a minimum wage so there's so many things like you know you learn every day like you know it's it's really complicated because you know we've created this complex system but if we start working towards it it gets simple and you know you learn every day and evolve from there i think what you said about certification is really interesting because of course a lot of sustainable you know quote unquote sustainable brands do use certification i know one popular one is the gox organic one for for cotton yeah. and yeah. so when you talk about how futile they are is it that they aren't working or is it that it's just not true when when they when a material is certified to be organic is it just that that's not true like maybe there's a a part of it like it's true but i've actually been to the farms like organic farms how they work their 1000 acres and you know that they've really really nicely come out of this like accusations because you know they say that hey we start from ginning but we don't take care of like you know god doesn't certify farming why don't you certify the farming like if your farm cotton is not organic like you know but it you they say like hey we take care of processes from ginning to all the way to like the farmer final garments and like why do you just leave that process because that process is an expensive process going and soil testing on every acreage of land and you know doing all these things so you know they kind of leave the most complicated work so they can make revenue and generate revenue this is simple like you know there's like a factory and you just go inside and you know like i can make up things i can have like fire extinguishers and medical kit and like you know fake records and things like that it's it's not so complicated and that's what like entire systems are built built upon like you know fake records fake like attendance registers fake policies you know those things happen for when you have three days audit in a company like you know they they all these things come to life like you know the things which are like dead for the entire year just for the three three days when there's a, there's going to be an audit system in your factory all of a sudden you see things blooming like oh we have this we have this like you know like it's it's just pointless i've worked in factories you know who do, do that i i worked there, worked there for four or five months 
And, you know, that kind of pushed me to come back out and like start something like this because it's just like, you know, I can't say certification. It doesn't mean like I can say it's organic. I can say it's sustainable. I can't say regenerative. It is not like, you know, your instincts know, your gut knows, like, you know, your like, I'm, whether it's true or not. And so then what role do you think brands can play when it comes to promoting regenerative agriculture within fashion? I mean, like, just not going behind like regenerative, like term buzzword, like, and, you know, trying to actually like just calm down and, you know, not, not be the next trend, but just really think that, you know, everything is ephemeral and, you know, while you're there, just make things more humane, like, you know, try and stay humble and, like, you know, interact with people. And most brands have like absolutely crazy margins and they just dig into like suppliers asking them for like a transparent cost, like, but it can be mirrored back on them. Like, like, can you give us a transparent call? Like, you know, profit you're making. Of course they won't do that. Like, you know, it's they, like when they're earning millions and like billions sometimes, you know, it's okay for some of the farmers, artisans or suppliers, like, you know, to make uh, some money. Like, you know, they don't really have to like dig into squeeze them. Like, hey, we are getting it $1 lesser at a different factory. Are you going to give us? And that's such an extractive supply chain. You see what I mean? Like, you're just like, trying to get it more and cheaper and cheaper and like, you know, trying to sell at like a higher price. That's okay. Like if you're selling the higher price, there's no artisan coming and asking you, you're making stuff with us for like $50 or like $80, but you're selling it at $300. Can you give us like your transparent cost? Like, what do you need? Like, and you know how, you know, there, there are things like that. So yeah, but I completely lost track of the question. What was the question again? The question was, what role do you think then that brands can play that goes beyond, you know, just simple certifications when it comes to promoting regenerative agriculture? You know, like how how do they include or encompass regenerative agriculture when it comes to being sustainable? You start at a place and, you know, you just actually see you can't regenerative agriculture is not a one day process. You know, it's not a switch. You can turn it on tonight and tomorrow you wake up and it's regenerative, you know, like. It's, uh, it takes a longer time to do that. You know, you start somewhere, you, maybe you have a small piece of land, you practice in one acre and that's what we did. Like we started practicing in five acres and started working and we went from there to 50 acres, but not that like, I wouldn't say this five acres is now regenerative. You know, the land's been, soil's been degraded for like years and years, hundreds of years. And you know, it, it's going to take some time to build, build it back on. And you know, just wait, like, you know, it's a process start getting involved in the process, see the kind of relationships you have, see the kind of statements you make. Like, you know, I see like in this lockdown, so many brands, like, you know, even Indian brands and international brands saying, oh, uh, let's help these poor artisan communities and, you know, give them food for three days or give them like charity for five days. Like, what the hell like is that? They've been like giving you food and charity for the last 10 years, but they never like sit down and boast about that. Hey, I made you like block printed fabrics and, you know, just start being humble and, just like you know think like a human being and start being more humane think yeah and put you. your money where your mouth is right like don't just yeah and intention like you know just have right intentions like you know you want to get your shareholders like and get great share value and like be a next be the next billion dollar company like you know if you have that kind of mindset and things like that and shareholders you run behind capitalists a uh, profitability and things like that like you know it's so difficult to bring about this change and, you know, it's just ephemeral, like, you know, you think like a billion dollar company, you know, the person who runs it, like, you know, hundred years and he or she doesn't exist. And everyone, like, you know, everything is so transient and things like that. People should start realizing that, you know, why you're here, like for the 50, 80 or hundred, whatever years it is, just like trying to be humble and like kind and, you know, 
I think that's all you need. Like, and if every single person starts being that, everything is regenerative or like ancient or whatever these terms are organic or sustainable or anything. Yeah. Any of these words, like, you know, start making sense if, you know, we get there. And do you think then that by revamping supply chains, at least to begin with, we would be able to meet textile industry climate goals? Do you know, do you think that that is one of the core steps towards revamping the industry and then, you know, as an extension, mitigating the effects of climate change? Yeah, I think it's first revamping ourselves, like our ideas, our thoughts, our processes, like, you know, the way we think about others, the way we deal with others and all of that stuff. Once we start revamping that, we start revamping everything else around us. And when everything else around us, like, start revamping, you know, the group becomes like a community, the community becomes a city, like your town, and, you know, that becomes a city, and that becomes a country, and that becomes a continent, and, like, that becomes, like, a global thing. And that's how things grow, and, like, you probably, we should start doing that. And, and yeah, I mean, like, that's how everything starts. It starts with you, and, like, you know, you... You means like every single use in this world, like every single me, like and yeah, just I think that's how you start the chain. You are the and you know eventually like once we become that, the industry becomes that because we are the industry. You know, like industry is not like a separate entity; it's an accumulation of all of us. So yeah, that would be it. Yeah. Okay, that was my last question. So thank you so much, Nishant, for giving your time once again and your insightful comments on all of these different aspects of the fashion industry i really appreciate it thank you thanks so much thank you for having me it's great to speak to you and you